Well, th this is the final set of proofs of that. So we're going to talk about the framing of the Constitution, okay, and the Christian influence in that. So remember, our basic purpose here is to get the background on the influence of Christianity and the formation of a nation, and it comes down to really hard numbers when we get into the Constitution. We can do direct connections here. So we're on the eighth of nine of these sessions. And so th these two documents, the Declaration of Independence and the US Constitution shall not be removed from one another. They, they are connected, okay? And here's one of the connecting pieces. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted amongst men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And that's, that's a transition to the Constitution. Yes? then you have tyranny. Right. All right, so our objectives here, we're going to talk about the length of time between the end of the war and the approval of the Constitution, uh, the variety of occupations of the framers of the Constitution, the relig their religious affiliation, these framers, of the there are 55 of them, and that number gets confused often with the Declaration of Independence where there were 56 signers. Here there are 55. We're going to talk about the function of the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist Papers. Those are important documents. And the key roadblocks to the development and passage of the Constitution. Why did they have trouble doing that? And what are the biblical references that we can connect directly to our US Constitution? Okay. So when the war was over, the thing that the, the, the document that held the 13 colonies together during the, the war was the Articles of Confederation. It came out of the Second Continental Congress. Uh, it was passed in November 15, 1777, so about a year or so into the war. Okay. It was rat wasn't ratified until 81. Okay. Individual states agreed to work together for their common defense. Remember, this is a document that came out of, uh, we've got to get together to do this war. Okay provided legitimacy for, within the international community. This is, was the tool that was used to get France to help support, okay? That and the fact that the Hessens were helping the Brits. Oh, we often say the Germans, but Germany wasn't a country at that time. There were German-speaking people, okay? But it was a bunch of little, little kingdoms. This gave Congress the authority to conduct the war and, but most of the powers remained in the 13 states, which meant that the federal government didn't have much power. Couldn't, it could declare war, it could say the war was over, it could put together an army, okay? But that's about it. It didn't have any way to deal with conflicts between the, the, the various colonies to become states, okay? Um, didn't have any way to elect a president or a Congress, okay? None of that was in there. So, the war ends. America declares hostilities at end on April 11, 1783. Treaty of Paris was not signed until September of that same year, and the actual war didn't end until a few months later in January of 1784. So, a lot of that's got to do with it being taken six weeks to go back and forth, and all the hassle that goes on with, with trying to get agreements and we're, this is happening in France, so we've got English-French translation, and then you've got the, the difficulties between France and Britain and Spain. I mean, we've, we've got France, Spain, England, the colonies, and the Native Americans, okay? So they were trying to deal with all of those issues but they finally came up to an agreement and said, all right, we're, we're, agree, we're quit fighting one another, quit shooting one another, okay? So that then brings us to the Constitutional Convention, happening in Independence Hall, which was the state 
House for, the state, for the, now the state of Pennsylvania, scheduled to start on the 14th of 1787 in May, but it didn't happen until the 25th. Again, got to send word out to people. They got to take care of stuff at home, then get on a horse and get down here, okay? And, and the focus was we need to form a central government. So there were 52 framers representing 12 of the 13 states. 39 of them would eventually sign. Rhode, Rhode Island would eventually, they'd be the last person to sign, but they didn't want to show up even at the convention. They wanted to remain independent. It just baffles me. You got the smallest of the colonies, the smallest of the states, and they make the decision we're just going to stay independent here. Okay. We're going through the Constitution. There's there's some handouts back back there, John. The 1787 delegates practice a wide range of high and middle class occupations, and many of them pursued more than one career okay, at the same time. They didn't differ hardly at all from the, the quote-unquote loyalists, those that were supported, supported the Brits, except they were younger. Okay? 35 of them had legal training, though not all of them practiced law. Some had been local judges, and one was a minister. So let's, let's look up. Uh, at the time of the convention, 12 of them were merchants. These are the merchants, Blount, Broome, Clymer, Dayton. I don't think that we need to read all those, but these are the guys who were merchants, made, made their living buying and selling goods. Now, we want to be careful because we'll notice some of these names will show up multiple times. Okay? There's, there's a group of handouts on the table that you'll want after you put your arm load down. I'll, I'll wait on you here. <coughs> so I think the front page of one of those has got the list of all these people. And, and one of the fun exercises is to take a look at the number of different occupations that some of these people have. Okay. You, you've got one? Okay, all right. Oh, she's got only one good hand. You want to give her a hand? What's a replacement for that one that's banged up? Okay. So we're going to go through some different occupations here by, by groups. And just kind of for fun, kind of pay attention to some of these people have more than one, more, actually more than two occupations. Okay? Some of them were, were very busy. Okay? So here are the ones that were merchants. Then seven of them were land speculators. And you can already see at least three of these people that we just looked at were merchants are also land speculators. Okay? 11 of them speculated in securities in a large scale. I mean, it just, you know, there wasn't one or two stocks, okay? They were dealing with, with a large amount of securities. And again, some of the same people show up here. So these are people of means, okay? They've, they have some cash flow, and so they're able to be involved in doing this. Well, let's see. Primarily, it was the mer merchandise, uh, tobacco, shipping, okay, uh, products that, that were bought and sold, either manufactured in the colonies and sent overseas, or you know from from Europe and England to the Caribbean. So it was, the, it was, uh, you know, I'll use the word stock. You know, in, in a literal, you know, a, kind of a broad context here, because it's not stock exchange that we have today. But there was a stock exchange in London at the time and in Paris, okay, uh, primarily dealing with commodities and with banks and with insurance, okay. 
Uh, I mean, you've got all these ships going back and forth. Somebody needs to, sit, to ensure both the, the people on board, the vessel itself, and the commodity. So, so I understand that was a lot of what went on. Okay? So 15 of the 55 managed or owned slave-operated plantations or large farms. So these are the 15. Okay? And we see names in here that we recognize. I mean, there, here's Blair in there and Blunt again. There's Jefferson, uh, Washington, of course, Rutledge, okay? I mean, some of these are people we've talked about with the Declaration of Independence. Madison and Franklin both owned slaves, okay? Franklin later freed his, so, so did Madison. But the two of them were, worked together to put together the Pennsylvania Anti-Slavery Society. So they owned slaves, but they weren't in favor of slavery, okay? And silly stuff comes out, out that was there before, but even when they became states, it was illegal in Virginia to release your slaves, okay? Couldn't do that. Later on, when we got some other states, Kentucky, for instance, if you released your slaves in Kentucky, you were responsible for them for the remainder of their lives. For, for any kind of difficulty they got into, any finance problems they had, you know, they were your property. So I'm, I have two people in the genealogy stuff that I've done that left Kentucky, went to Missouri, and released their slaves there because all they had to do there was set them up in some kind of, you know, property, a place to live, help get them started, and then they were on their own. Alexander Hamilton also opposed to slavery, and along with John Jay and other anti-slavery advocates, helped to found the first African free school in New York. Okay? Uh, Hamilton was an officer, and Jay was the governor of New York in 1798. He signed into law the state statute ending slavery in 1821. I believe this was the first state to, to put, put together a law that said, you know, you cannot do slavery in this state ever again. Okay? We didn't solve that problem until the 1860s, generally, but state of New York said, you know, right off. And, and these, are, these are two of the, of the framers of the Constitution. Okay? Eight of them received a substantial part or, or all of their income from public office. Okay? Uh, here we see, you know, Livingston in there again, Madison, Rutledge. Okay, those are those are names that we know from, from the, the Declaration of Independence. Three of them theoretically had retired, although I don't believe Franklin, they say Franklin's retired, but he was still involved in doing securities at the time. Franklin McHenry and Mifflin uh, had theoretically retired. Okay? Franklin and Williamson were classed as scientists amongst all the rest of the activities they did. Okay? McClure, McHenry, and Williamson were physicians, and Johnson, down here on the, on the far right, was a college president. So, so it's a wide variety of backgrounds. These 55 come with a huge amount of information and background about various, various endeavors. Okay? And we're going to put them together into a room, in that little bitty room in Independence Hall, and have them put together this, this thing we call the Constitution. Now, here are the ones who, had, who did both. They signed the US Constitution and they signed the Declaration of Independence, okay? So there, there are only eight of them, okay? Oh, it's interesting that they were in both, you know, worked on both things. So these folks bring with them into this discussion the discussion that went on to put together the Declaration of Independence. Religious affiliation gets to be as difficult with this group as it did with, the, you know, with those who signed the, the declaration. This was one researcher's, uh, what he believes to be true, okay? Uh, you know, we've got the whole long list, including one deist, okay? 
So to me, the thing that was most important is we don't have one religious institution that is represented here. We have a wide variety of theological backgrounds amongst this, this group of 55. So including, our, including Catholics here, and then you've got the Quaker influence, and of course the Episcopalian and the Presbyterian, and the Congregationalists, which are pretty narrow, narrow-viewed the, theology. So, uh, I mean, today to get together 55 with that same church affiliation, it would be difficult to get them to agree on something, you know, especially if it was theological, okay? So the, the big deal was the debate over how much power should the central government have versus how much power should the states have, okay? That was the crutch of the major debate throughout the, the forming of the, of the Constitution and the approval. Mr. President, the small progress we have made after four or five weeks close attendance and continually reasoning with each other, our different sentiments on almost every question, several of the last producing as many no's as eyes, is methinks a melancholy proof of the imperfection of the human understanding. We indeed seem to feel our own want of political wisdom since we have been running around in search of it. We have gone back to ancient history from models of government and examined the different forms of those republics which having been formed with the seeds of their own dissolution now no longer exist. And we have viewed modern states all around Europe but find none of their constitution suitable to our circumstances. Now, I'm going to move forward because this speech is not over with. Okay? They had been meeting for some time, okay? making absolutely no headway. And, and according to the documents, Franklin stood up, and this is the recorded speech that he made. Okay? And the person that I asked to record this for me, one of the things that struck him here was, was what they had done. Uh, the, you know, the, we've gone back to ancient history for models of government, we examined the forms of those republics, having formed the seeds of their own dissolution, no longer exist. We have viewed modern states around, around Europe, okay, and, find none, and looked at their constitutions, found none of that acceptable. So it wasn't that they were sitting in a room arguing with one another, it is that they, they were wholeheartedly trying to figure out what do we do? What should, this, what should this country look like? What is the document that tells us how we're going to form together? What should that look like? They had all of this background. I mean, that's the reason I said we wanted to look at what kind of work did these 55 do because they came with a huge amount of information. And, and it's obvious that they, these were readers of, of Solid documents, some of these were the same people who put together the Declaration, so they were readers of Locke and of Aristotle and Plato. I mean, they were not unlearned. So, so let's go on with the speech. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of Lights to illuminate our understandings. In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayer in this room for divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of superintending providence in our favor. To that kind providence, we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend, or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? 
We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings, that, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that built it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests. Our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessing on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business, and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. Benjamin Franklin, June 29th. 1787. Now, now notice that they had been meeting just over a month. Okay? Now, in that month, I, I don't believe that they were reading all those documents. These, these men came together with the knowledge that were in the documents that were, were referenced. Okay? And after a month's time, it was obvious to Franklin, we weren't getting anywhere. Okay? And so, this deal of calling for prayer, that started the very next day and happened every day that they met. And 50 days later, okay, they had a constitution. Okay? Been 35 days with no progress. 50 days, boom, you've got this document. Okay? Tell me God's hand wasn't involved. Okay. Final draft sent to Congress, okay? 39 yeses, 16 noes. So not everybody was gung-ho about this, okay? So this is theoretically the, the group getting together doing the signing, okay? So this is Franklin summary here, okay? This is the, the number 39 signed. And so he said, I beg I, may not be, uh, it, I beg I may not be understood to infer that our general convention was divinely inspired when it formed the new federal constitution. Yet I must own, I have so much faith in the general government of the world, world by providence that I can hardly convince a transaction, hardly conceive a transaction of such momentous importance to the welfare of millions now existing and to exist in posterity of a great nation should we should be suffered to pass without being in some degree influenced guided and governed by the omnipotent, omnipresent and benefit ruler in whom all inferior spirits live and move and have their being this is one of the two least religious signers okay So let's look at the content. Here is the preamble. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our, our prosperity to do ordain and establish this constitution of the United States of America. Th that in itself, okay? I mean, that stands by itself. Okay? All right, there are seven articles. The whole document, it's only 4,583 words. That includes all the articles and section titles and everything. So it's not, it's not a 2,000 page. Oh, I'm not a spill, okay. We're able to do this in 4,500 words, all right? So let's, let's look at this. Article one is the legislative branch. Okay, that's the House of Representatives chosen by the people, Senate chosen by the state legislatures, and that's one we often forget. Okay? The House of Representatives is the people's house. That was, that was election within each state by the people, general election. The Senate, the members of the Senate were there to represent the states. Yeah, that would have made the state 
Right. And so they left it up to the states how to select those. Okay. Uh, originally, none of them did that by vote. It was either the governor appointment or it was the, the legislature. Okay. And in every case, the legislature was somewhat involved. But in some cases, it was just the governor. Yep. Right. So if the senator wasn't representing your state correctly, as I said, you just have him come home and we'll send somebody else. Okay. So this is one of those changes that happened in 1913. Okay. Article two is executive branch, only 1,227 words. Okay. Article three, judicial branch. There's only three articles here. Okay, that's not a, not a huge thing. Notice this, 391 words. Give you some idea of the value, the importance that they placed on these three branches, right? The Supreme Court didn't even have a building to meet in for a long time. I think it was well into the 30s before they had an actual building to meet in. So here's the deal. It's three separate and connected but not equal branches of government. These are not three equal branches. Okay. They're connected, but they don't have the same powers. I'm take that. I'm sorry. I did the. We've got other articles here, but I mean, there's those three were the were the big ones here. Okay. So Article Four: States relationships. States are equal. Every state shall have a Republican form of government. Okay. It's not an option. You're going to have a state. You're going to have that form of government. Okay. Article five is the amendment process. Article six has to do with prior debts, national supremacy, oath of offices. Okay. And it states no religious test. You, we couldn't have a religious test to say whether or not you could hold office. Okay. Uh, prior to this, Connecticut was one that did this. If you wanted to run for office, you had to bring a letter signed by your pastor that said you were in good standing before your name could even be put on the ballot. Okay. So now we come down to how do we get this thing supported? We have this document. It's not very big. It's fairly easy to read. Now we've got to get it approved. Okay. And it's got to be approved by each of the states. Got 13 states, a bunch of people. So a group got together, produced what became later known as the Federalist Documents. It was 85 articles or essays promoting the ratification of the Constitution. It was printed in local newspapers between October of 1787 and April of 1788. Now, that's a lot of articles to write. And if you've ever read the Federalist Papers, these are, these are not simple one-page, two-paragraph document, you know, documents. Okay? They are by Hamilton, Madison, and John Jay. Three of those wrote those 85. And, and one of the classic things, that I'm trying to think of the, the, the session that I watched where the, uh, it was the Truth Series. What's, what's the gentleman's name that does the Truth Series? Dell Tackett, thank you. It was gone, okay? Dell tells this story that, that's, that he's in a college and he said his students come to him and say, these are really hard to read and it's students who are taking uh, legal courses and their instructor has given them the documents to read for various things that they're doing and they're saying to, to Dell or maybe with the other instructor, these are very difficult to read. And the instructor's response to him said, yes, I know. They were written for the farmers in New York okay, to read. And someday, maybe your education level will rise to theirs, okay, and you'll be able to comprehend these. Okay? Because they are comprehensive. Now, not everybody wanted a strong federal government. There was a group that wanted strong states' rights. And they wrote a series of papers that are now 
in a document called the, the Anti-Federalist Papers. There are 85 articles there, and they were published between 17, September 1787 and sometime in the early 1790s. Okay? We don't know who all the authors are, but people have figured out these appear to be the majority of the authors. Okay? Okay. I want to remember the, the argument is do we have a strong central government or a strong state governments? Okay. And they had been through the issue with the Articles of Confederation where we had a weak federal government and strong colonial governments, okay? Because all through the war, the colonial governments continued to operate. I mean, the judicial system ran, the, the legislatures met, okay? So, it, I mean, it, it continued to function. So that, that was their model, okay? So th the deal is, who's going to win on this? Because you've got lots of people writing articles say we shouldn't ratify, other people writing articles about why we should ratify, okay? So should you decide that you want to go into to depth, there is actually, you can actually find this, li this list is available on, you, know, you just Google for the list and it pops up in various places. These are the subjects along the left-hand side, the need for a stronger union, bill of rights, nature and power of unions, coming down here, the judiciary, executive power, regulating elections, House of Representatives, the Senate, okay? Now, there's the anti-federalists, and on the right are the federalist papers, okay? That if you, if you want to read about the argument on any of those topics, one of the, one of the things that struck me uh, a few years ago is the district attorney in Lynn County, when he does a swearing in of, of officers, one of the documents he pulls out of his briefcase is a hard-bound cop, copy of the Federalist Papers, okay? And I come to find out that he carries that with him most of the time, and the place that he's usually looking is this area right here, the judiciary, okay? Federalist 78 through 83, okay? That when, when, in, when in doubt about what the Constitution says or means about a particular area dealing with the judiciary, you go to the Federalists and you'll find out what their thinking was about that part of the document, okay? Right? And if you say, well, I'm not sure that that's a good idea, well, you can go over here and read what, what the anti-Federalists had to say about that particular area also, okay? And remember, that the battle is between strong central government, strong states' rights. Well, that's how we got the Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights was, was the trade-off here, okay? Well, yeah, but, I mean, trying to think how many, not all of the Bill of Rights, not everything that, that were put out there as a Bill of Rights got, got approved, okay? I can't, I'm, for some reason, I can't remember how many there were, but there were, And it, and, and, and and I agree with you, John. The big argument here is if a government can give you rights, it can also take them away. Right? And, and that, that was the fear. And, and you've got to go back to the Declaration of Independence. And that's the reason that we say the Declaration is tied directly to the Constitution. Okay? Th those two documents you should not 
go, all right, that's one and this the other, because the, the opening paragraph in the Declaration says, these, these are the rights, these rights we get from God, okay? And, and you can't mess with those, okay? All right? And the little bit that I've read indicates that that, that was the deciding factor where, where the fear that we're gonna lose rights, okay? And saying, no, these rights are unalienable. okay? We can't, governments, Government doesn't give those to you, and therefore governments can't take them away. Okay. So here's here's George's comment about that. And now, Almighty Father, it is thy holy will that we shall obtain a place and name among the nations of the earth. Grant that we may be in, in, in can't talk sometimes enabled to show our gratitude for thy goodness by our endeavors to for to for uh, and obey thee i think that i my typing what? yeah it was to for and obey thee okay cuz i took three other things and copied them pasted them in there. i just didn't look that close so you you notice that up here we've got these meaning that there was something else between here and here and it was fairly long, okay? And I was after this key piece here, okay? So this is Hamilton's comment. For my own part, I sincerely esteem it is a system which without the finger of God never could have been suggested and agreed upon by such a diversity of interests, okay? And I would agree. I mean, I came to that conclusion before I saw this by Hamilton, okay? Oh, if God's hand hadn't have been on it, they'd probably still be together, okay? Madison's comma, we have all been encouraged to feel in the guardianship and guidance of that almighty being whose power regulates the destiny of nations. Secular document, right? So John Jay, first justice of the Supreme Court, he stated that when we select our national leaders, if we are to preserve our nation, we must select Christians, okay? He didn't see it as an option. Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. So when the brother-in-law says, we're not a Christian nation, he said, he needs to talk to Jay. So this is from one of Madison's writings in 1785. Religion is the basis and foundation of government. We have staked the whole future of our new nation, not upon the power of government, far from it, we have staked the future of our political constitution upon the capacity of each of ourselves to govern ourselves according to the moral principles of the Ten Commandments. And, and in some other stuff that, you know, these writers are saying, listen, this was done for a moral and religious people. It will not stand for any other. Okay? So let's look at some direct connections between scripture and our, our biblical constitution, okay? This is the longest ongoing constitutional republic in the history of the world, and we're not very old, okay? Our constitution is very unique, and it's original. The ideas had not appeared before in any other written constitution some ideas that are new and novel are separation of powers, checks and balances, and republicanism. Those do not show up, had not shown up in any other constitution or other document prior to this time. Okay? And, and how, did, how did they get those ideas? I mean, it wasn't, they didn't copy it from someplace else. Well, here's a research project that went on to try to figure out what were they using you know, what was their background information to do this? So it's so a group of, of political scientists. It was a 10-year project. 
they look at 15,000 writings from the, these, I think it was from the 55 and a few more. Could have, been, could have been much more than that, okay? But they looked at 3,145 quotes and they said, we're gonna take those quotes and we're gonna see if we can find out where they got those from, okay? So here's what they found. 34% of the quotes from these founders when they were writing about the Constitution and the Declaration came from Scripture, right? Eight, a little over 8% came from Montesquieu, okay? He's a French judge, philosopher. Uh, I have not read his book called My Thoughts, okay? But it is available out there, okay? And he was one of the, he was one of the authors that they read and understood, okay? And of course, Blackstone, about 8% of the quotes came from Blackstone from his four volumes. A little over 2% came from Locke, okay? Uh, he was an English philosopher. He's called the, the father of liberalism. We're not talking about progressivism here. We're talking about, you know, the idea of, you know, liberal colleges used to be you went there to learn how to think, okay? And how to respond, okay? Not how to get brainwashed. I'm sorry? I said you consider all sides of an argument. Yep. And you had to be able to argue both sides of an issue, okay? So George Washington and Alexander Hamilton, both in their writings, noted that separation of powers is based on the biblical principle found in Jeremiah 17.9, okay? And I gave you a, a one-page write-up that, that I, I think Barton put that together, okay? That's, that's his description of, of why he thinks seven, you know, Jeremiah 17.9 is important. But, but here, here's the foundation. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? So the only way they, they said, the only way we can control this is we have to separate these powers. If we give them all to one person, we're gonna have the same problem we just fought a war over, okay? Gotta figure out how to not give all the power in one place. Now, this issue turns out to be the subject of a number of sermons that were offered in various congregations throughout the founding era, this separation of powers issue all based on, on Jeremiah 17.9. Right, so let's look at some direct connections. I think I gave you a document that's kind of a table that's got these listed out in it, okay? So it's not everything that's available. I, I picked ones based on the time frame I had, said I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at, at, at these, okay? You find it? Yeah, I think. I think that's it. Yeah. So you got King, yeah, King James, yep. All right. Now, I, I use the King James because that's the scripture that they had. Okay, they didn't have New American Standard, okay? So Article 1, Section 8, Paragraph 4, the Uniform Immigration Laws to establish a, a uniform rule of naturalization. So that comes out of Leviticus 19.34. But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt, I am the Lord your God. So it was out of this scripture that they say they got this piece of the Constitution, okay? Article two, section one, paragraph five, presidents must be natural born citizens. In, in the Constitution it says, no person except a natural born citizen shall be eligible for the office of president. Deuteronomy 17, 15, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. One from among the brethren shall thou set king over thee. Thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy brother. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. 
So you couldn't have been born in France and then moved to England and now say you're natural born. It's like, no, no, born here of parents that are here, okay, that are also citizens here, okay? Now, my little feeble mind, I look at this stuff and go, they tell me these were not religious men, okay? They, 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 I don't think they sit down and say, well, let's search scripture and see if we can find a scripture that gives us some idea about what to do about this thing of, of the president. They, they knew this. I mean, probably maybe not all of them, but when somebody brought it up and read it, they all went, oh, yeah, I, I know that scripture. Okay. Yeah, to me, it's a little bit like when we're reading the, the New Testament and Paul says, it is written, okay? He, he's writing to Jews, okay? And so when he's quoting out of, he's saying it is written, he's talking about something that we now call in the Old Testament, okay? And if you, if you were a Jewish and you were above 12 years old, you had already memorized the first, what we call the first five books of the Bible. And so when he said, it is written, and he quotes it, they all went, oh yeah, I, you know, because every Sabbath in the synagogue, but he pulls out a scroll and reads that, and as time went on, it didn't make any difference where you went. You know, on a particular Sabbath in a, in a synagogue, everybody's reading the same scroll. Okay? So, witnesses and capital punishment. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses, witness to the same act or a confession in open court. That comes out of Deuteronomy 17.6. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death, but at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. Okay. So we get to Article 3. We've got the provisions against a, t a, a tainer and tender, okay? That comes out of Ezekiel 18.20, and I don't know that I need to read all of those, but we have this direct connection here, okay? So this is, you know, you, you don't punish the children or the other family members for something that somebody did, okay? All right, so, so kind of condensing down here, okay? Three branches of government comes out of Isaiah 33, 22. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king. He will save us. There's the three branches, okay? Connected to the one almighty, okay? Tax exemption for churches, First Amendment, and the 16th. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. So the, 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 the deal about the Johnson Amendment, okay? Lots of people have said, and I agree, wait a minute, that they were tax exempt before Johnson came along, okay? I mean, it's in the Constitution, it's right there, okay? So that comes out of Ezra, Ezra 7.24, okay? Uh, the concept of republicanism, okay? That's in Article 4, section, section 4, okay? The United States shall guarantee every state of this union a republican form of government. So a republican form of government is one that the powers of, of sovereignty are vested with the people, and are exercised by the people directly or indirectly through their representatives, okay? So the, the sovereignty, the power and sovereignty is to the people. That's a Republican form of government, okay? It's, it's not a democracy. A democracy is a lynch mob in action, okay? So this, they say, comes out of Exodus 18.21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, tell the truth, hate covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, 
and rulers of tens. Okay? Okay, I think that's Jethro talking to Moses, if memory strikes me right. Okay? When he said, you're going you're to kill yourself here trying to deal with all this. Okay? They say Noah Webster is responsible for Article 1, Section 8, Paragraph 8. No title of nobility shall be granted by the President by the United States, and no person, including any office of profit or trust under them, shall, without the consent of the Congress, accept of any present annulment, office, or title of any kind, whatever, from any king, prince, or foreign state. Okay? That comes out of Exodus 18:21, and that's Noah's comment. I mean, he's the one that said, here's where I got this. And I think it was Del Tackett that said, Noah said the Lord told him to write a dictionary. Okay? And, and Del said, can you imagine getting that direction from the Lord? I want you to write it. He didn't have one. Okay? Sunday exception clause okay, is in Article 1, Section 7, Paragraph 2. If any bill shall not be returned by the president within 10 days, Sunday exception accepted, okay? A common law, it, it, in suits at common law where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise re-examined by the court of the United States than according to the rules of the common law. What common law? Well, this is Blackstone, okay? Yep. The oath clause. Okay. I do commonly, I do solemnly swear and affirm that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Okay. Senator Representative before mentioned, and the members of the several state legislatures, all executive and judicial offices both of the United States and the several states shall be bound by oath of affiliation to support this constitution, but no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust of the United States. Okay? Then down at the bottom, we get this stuff, okay? Down in convention, down through there, okay? On the 17th day of September in the year of our Lord, 1787, okay? If it wasn't a, if they didn't believe in, a, in the, the Lord, they probably wouldn't have had the document signed in the day of the Lord, okay? All right. So we have this document. We have ample proof that there is direct connection to scripture, to parts of the document, okay? So it's ratified in 1788. Initially, only five states, Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Georgia, and Connecticut signed it, okay? New Hampshire was on the ninth, was the ninth ratified, did that in June. Then Virginia, and later in June, and, and New York in July. So Virginia and New York both had to agree what is, on what is now the Bill of Rights. They had to agree that that was going to be in there or they wouldn't sign. Okay? So that went out to the 13 colonies and we ended up with, with the 10 that we have. Okay? Well, there was 12 sent out. Okay? So 10 were ratified in 1791. So each of the states had to ratify the Bill of Rights. Okay? So only 10 of the 12 got approved. And those are the 10 we have. Okay? North Carolina came along and... and Signed in 89, and of course, Rhode Island is the last one to sign. Okay? And I, I have not taken time to find out what their issue was. I mean, I, oh. So, the Bill of Rights, they said, were needed to add clarification of rights and protections. Okay? Protect the states and individuals from the federal government. This is the state's rights issue. This is that original argument between Federalists and Anti-Federalists. So the, the ten 
the first is freedom of speech, press, religion, assembly, and the right to petition government. Okay? The second, right to bear arms. The third protection against housing soldiers in, in homes. I mean, ha having gone through that period of time from 1750 up to the, you know, through the war, we can see their issues that were in the Declaration of Independence pop up not only in the Constitution, but here in the Bill of Rights. Okay? Protection against unreasonable search and seizure, search and seizure, protection against issuing of warrants without probable cause. That was one of the arguments in the Declaration of Independence, okay? where they could just show up at your door and go in and, and take stuff. Okay? Protection against trial without indictment, double jeopardy, self-incrimination, and seizing property. That's in the fifth. The sixth is a right to a speedy trial. And I wonder about those folks who were, are still in jail that have not been on trial out of, you know, out of the January debacle, okay? The seventh is right by trial by jury, okay? And also by jury in the, in the jurisdiction area that the, that the crime was committed in, okay? And that had to do with that issue of committed a crime, they're gonna send, you know, you're gonna hold court in England, okay? A protection against excessive bail, excessive fines, cruel and unusual punishment. The ninth, uh, Rights granted in the Constitution shall not infringe on other rights, okay, the inalienable rights, okay? And my favorite here, the 10th. Powers not granted to the federal government in the Constitution belong to the states or to the people. And one summary I heard somebody do of that, they said, listen, anything we told you you can't do, you can't do, you, know, you, can't do, you can't do that either, okay? If we didn't tell you you could do it, you can't do that either. So any rights, in anything in the Constitution or in the other nine art articles of the Bill of Rights, if it's not in there, okay, if it's not in that, then it belongs to the states, okay, and to, and to the individuals. And that's, that was the argument all along with Roe versus Wade, okay? That issue belonged at the state level, okay? And, and that's, that's how it went away. And, and oh, a couple of the jurists that we've got on the Supreme Court today say there are other items that the Supreme Court has said that that's law that actually belong to the, to the states. They don't, they're not federal laws. All right. Somebody took a list at 204 founding fathers. Now, I included the 55 and it included the other, the 56, okay? And I know there were eight of them that cross over, but this was, this was their hit out of the group they looked at about their religious affiliation, okay? So you get, you get this wide range here. And of course, the majority of them were Anglian Episcopalian because that was the biggest church at the time, okay? And so this is John's final comment and mine also, okay? The general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Now I will allow that I then believe that those general principles of Christianity are eternal and immutable as the existence attributes, attributes of God, okay? Those principles come from God and not from man and not from this government document. So your conclusion, was the country founded on Christian principles? I mean, it, it seems like a mute argument at this point, doesn't it? And every meeting that we start, we're going to start by opening in prayer. Okay? 
Now, this is the, one of the least religious of these founders, okay? And, and, and he referenced that back to the years of war, that every time they met, okay, every meeting they had was open in prayer. And, and I thought it was interesting, they would come together to do the Constitution, and they had not done that once. I mean, the documents are clear, okay? They'd been, hadn't even been hinted to. And they spent 35 days discussing and arguing. You know, I mean, I, yeah, you've been in that, that room. I mean, 55 unwashed men in that little bitty room. I'd be wanting to get done and get out of here. Because okay? it was part of the unwashed masses here. 